Good morning. Our reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of, of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, through now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith through the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have not been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we are beginning a brand new sermon series entitled Strangers Like Me. And yes, if you're wondering, I have ripped that off completely from Disney's Tarzan. Now, it is my personal opinion that Strangers Like Me is the greatest song that Disney has ever produced. And in that movie, many of you probably know the story, an English couple is shipwrecked and they land off the coast of the Congo and they have an infant son. And so they build this tree house for protection. But this leopard comes and kills the couple and the infant child is left there in the tree house and a gorilla comes by and hears the cry of this infant and takes him in herself and she names him Tarzan. And he is raised by people that are not his own, but yet they are all he knows. 
And as the story progresses, some English explorers come. And for the first time, Tarzan meets human beings. And these explorers came to look at these gorillas. And Tarzan is confused as to why these strangers that he doesn't know look exactly like him. This movie was released in 1999, and at the time, it was the most money Disney had ever spent on an animated film at $130 million. And so today, as we begin, I want you to understand that you and I are strangers in this world. But yet everyone around us is just like us. And this is what Phil Collins, who wrote the song Strangers Like Me, says. He says, I want to know, can you show me? I want to know about the strangers like me. Tell me more. Please show me something is familiar about the strangers like me. Now, unfortunately, for copyright purposes, we were not allowed to show the song. But I would encourage you to go home and YouTube it. And if it's not your favorite Disney song, then you're just wrong. Because it's clearly the best song Disney has ever made. Now, as we approach this letter this morning, and we're going to spend about the next 10 weeks, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, going through the entire book of 1 Peter. And what we're going to see is that you and I are strangers in this world. And yet God has deliberately put us here to have relationship with all the strangers that look just like you and me. So we're going to be talking about suffering, persecution, the relationship between church and state, submission, and ultimately, what does it mean to follow and imitate Jesus Christ? This morning, we began with the intro of this letter And at the outset, you have to understand that the majority of the New Testament is comprised of letters that are written to churches across the world at this time. And so you're going to see a lot of the same information that you and I would put in a letter today. The introduction, the greeting, the address, the reason for writing, and the conclusion See, the problem with us today is there are so many informal methods through which we communicate that the art of letter writing has practically gone away. We text message, we email, we phone call, we use Facebook Messenger, but we don't write as many letters as we used to. But in Peter's day, the most efficient way to get information out to churches spread out all over the Roman Empire was the letter. And as Petula just read for us, this letter was written to churches which would now be considered all over modern day Turkey. And it was a circular letter. So all of these churches received the letter and then it went on to the next church and to the next church in an efficient manner to where it could spread rapidly. But remember that there are no copy machines. There are no cell phones to which you could take a picture of the letter and keep it for yourself. So most of these letters were read to the church at large in one sitting. And then as we know over time, copies were written down. But at the very beginning, this was read just like Petula read it to us, to everyone in the room. 
And so the people were listening intently to what Peter had to tell them because they didn't have a copy for themselves. And as Peter begins this letter, he starts with helping us to understand the source of our salvation. He tells us in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Peter wanted his audience to know, spread out all over modern-day Turkey, that the initiator of their salvation was not themselves, it was God the Father. It was God the Father who initiated the plan to bring Jesus to earth, to then endure everything that he endured on our behalf. You and I, when it comes to our salvation, bring absolutely nothing to the table. It is a free gift that can never be earned, that can never be achieved, all put into place by God the Father. And he tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. Now we already talked about this morning that Peter spent the majority of his time walking directly next to Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And if you'll remember, all the way back in John chapter 3, Jesus is the one who initiates this born-again language. He's having an interaction with a man named Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So in this letter, we see that Peter is adopting language that Jesus himself used in his ministry. Peter says you must be born again to a living hope. You see, you and I are no longer without hope if we are in Jesus Christ. Hope is all that we can cling to as strangers in this world. Because it is what Jesus did for you and I on the cross that ultimately gives us our hope and our meaning and our fulfillment. But just in case Peter's audience was a little confused, he wants to make sure they understand that the reason they have this hope is because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And this is key. The famous New Testament scholar N.T. Wright talks about how significant the empty tomb is for our faith. Because in first century Judaism, it would not be uncommon for people to have visions or dreams of a dead person coming back to life to visit them. But all someone had to do if they had a vision or a dream was go to the grave where that person was buried and they would realize that it was not real. But when people saw visions, and had dreams of a resurrected Jesus, they could go to the tomb and see that the body of Jesus was no longer there. This is what sets Jesus apart from every other religious figure in history. Not only did he say he would die and be raised again, the tomb proves it. And Peter gives his audience these characteristics of their salvation these rich terms, imperishable, undefiled, unfaded, kept in heaven for you. If you ever doubt your salvation in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to cling to these descriptions that Peter gives us here. Our salvation cannot be perished. It cannot spoil. It is not going away. It is kept in heaven for everyone who endures until the end. 
I know it's very common for us to doubt our salvation. And believers throughout the history of the church have doubted whether or not the decision that they made to follow Christ was sincere. But we see Peter telling his audience here that is experiencing persecution and suffering that you can take it to the bank that what Jesus did for you secures your eternal destination. He loves you. He died for you. And if you believe in Him, your salvation is sealed forever. He also talks about this salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. Now, what is Peter talking about here? We always talk about salvation as if it's a one-time decision. But what Peter is teaching us here is that salvation has many, many different dynamics. You have been saved from your past. You are currently being saved in the present. And one day, every one of us in this room that are followers of Jesus Christ will be saved in the end and united with Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. You see, Peter begins this letter making sure that everyone understands what salvation is and what it means for them. You can never over-communicate the truth of what salvation is according to God's word. We live in a day and age when there are so many religious people who think that they can earn their way into heaven. As long as they do enough good things and those good works outweigh the bad, that they can have eternal life with Jesus Christ. And Peter teaches us here that that is not what salvation is based on. It is a free gift given to us. And we have to constantly tell ourselves that, even as believers in Jesus Christ, how easy it is to begin to slip into the thinking that as long as I do enough, God is satisfied with me. We have to communicate this to ourselves and to everyone we know over and over and over again. I'll give you a great example of this. April 7, 2018, just over a year ago, a fan blade exploded on a Boeing 737 Southwest flight. And the debris from that fan blade knocked out the window in the plane. And it caused all the passengers to erupt into mass chaos. And all the oxygen masks dropped and they put them on. And I want to show you the way that all the passengers put on the oxygen mask. In case you're wondering, the oxygen mask is supposed to go over your mouth and your nose. Now, I've flown many a times, and I know that at the beginning of every single flight, the flight attendant comes to the front and the middle and the back of the cabin and explains how you are to put on that oxygen mask, tells you where the exit rows are, tells you everything you were supposed to do in case of an emergency. And most of us power down our phones, put on our seatbelts, think that we've got this covered. But when the tragedy actually struck, what this picture shows is people need to be told the same thing over and over and over again. And even when they have been told thousands of times, they still do it wrong. And so Peter begins this letter reminding us salvation is in Jesus Christ. To be born again, it must be through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This wouldn't have been the first time his audience would have heard this. But Peter knows the significance of making sure that as we begin this letter, we all understand 
You cannot earn salvation in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to share that suffering in this world is inevitable. And I think it's fitting that Peter begins talking about salvation because the people that he's writing to are enduring suffering and persecution. Now, this is not persecution imposed from the Roman government yet. This is not official persecution across the empire. But rather, this persecution is local and it's sporadic. And it's happening at different times to different people. Now, the persecution that they are experiencing is going to look much different than the persecution you and I experience today. But in many ways, our persecution in Jesus Christ is also local and sporadic. For example, none of us as believers in Jesus Christ here in America are under any obligation from the government to deny following after Jesus or to restrict following after Jesus. We will not be punished for being here this morning in this room and worshiping Jesus. But rather, the persecution and the suffering that you and I endure as followers of Christ is sporadic. It might result in the loss of a relationship, the loss of a promotion at work, the loss of something important to us, but none of us in this room today for following after Jesus in America will die. And so this local and sporadic persecution, Peter is telling his audience to approach it and to rejoice. Now let me point out here, Peter is not saying that we have to enjoy the suffering or enjoy the persecution. But what he is saying is, while you are enduring that suffering and that persecution, you can rejoice because it's only going to last for a little while. I'm sure many of you are thinking a little while is still a long time for some of us. And it might be a long, long time, but when you compare a little while to eternity, you realize how grateful we are to have salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, it's my opinion when I share the gospel with people, I like to tell them on the front end what it means to follow after Jesus and the cost involved in following Jesus. Because we have a tendency to share Jesus and talk about all of the great things that he does for us and all of the benefits that we get, and those are all true, but sometimes we lighten up on the part about what it means to follow Jesus and the cost involved. Following after Jesus, even as American Christians, costs us something. And if it's not costing us anything, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly following after Jesus? And Peter explains, he asks the question, why is this suffering a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ? And he gives us the answer in verse 7. He says that the reason we suffer is to measure the genuineness of our faith. So when the suffering comes, if people fade away from Christ as a result of that suffering, that is an indication that possibly they were never actually following Jesus to begin with. It measures the authenticity and the genuineness of our faith in Christ. But it also purifies us. And what Peter means is, as we endure the suffering, if we have the right attitude and the right mentality, it will actually increase our dependency on Jesus and it will make us 
more like him. Purifying our faith. Joni Erickson Tata is a Christian author who's written book after book after book about suffering. When she was a teenager, she drove into the Chesapeake Bay, but she had misjudged the depth of the water. And as a result, she is now a quadriplegic. In constant pain, but still understanding that her life has purpose. And I want to share this quote with you. This is what she says. My quadriplegia constantly clamors for my undivided attention. Empty leg bag, deal with pain, arrange for help, adjust corset, charge wheelchair, look for access and grab that handicap spot before someone else does. It's my world. Then again, it is definitely not. My world, my breath and very being, my identity is in Christ and Christ alone. You see, suffering for you and me is inevitable. It's coming. We don't know when, we don't know how severe, but we know that it is coming. And what Peter is encouraging us to do here is to rejoice when it comes. Not jump up for joy in the midst of the suffering, but understand that Jesus will persevere with us till the end. Joni Erickson Tata hasn't since been diagnosed with breast cancer aware since then. And every single day is a struggle for her. But yet her attitude and her mentality is one of, Jesus is in control and I will worship him. We also see here the finished product. Peter tells us the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. You see, oftentimes we talk about all of the great benefits of following after Jesus. And there are many. Forgiveness, eternal security, peace, joy, hope in the midst of our suffering. But at its basic level, salvation is about getting God. Broken humanity was separated from God forever because of our sin. And when God initiated the plan of bringing Jesus into the world once and for all, you and I can now have relationship with God the Father through what Jesus Christ did. So forgiveness, yes. Eternal life, yes. But at its most basic level, you and I get a relationship with a holy God that we do not deserve. That is the outcome of our faith. The salvation of our soul comes through a relationship with God the Father freely given to us. A couple of weeks ago, a picture was released of the line of people stacked all the way up to see the summit of Mount Everest. And this is what happens because there's only two to three weeks a year where the weather is ideal for making the summit on Everest. And the reason this particular picture is so dangerous is because there reaches a point at altitude when you're climbing Mount Everest where you enter what is called the death zone. What that means is you are so oxygen deprived that there is only a limited amount of time that you have to reach the summit before your body begins to attack itself. As somebody who has summited Everest twice with my father, 
I know the difficulty involved in this. Does anybody believe me, by the way? Okay, I'm completely joking. Okay, wake up. I have not summited Everest, okay? But I've heard and I've watched documentaries about how hard it is to do that. And so climbers, this year alone, 11 people have lost their life attempting to summit Everest, many of whom lost their life because they're stuck in this line and their body begins to attack themselves and they have hypothermia and they have frostbite and they don't make good decisions because their brains are deprived of oxygen. And every year, people die attempting to reach the summit. But for hardcore climbers, the benefit of summiting Everest the most challenging mountain climbing experience in the world, outweighs frostbite, hypothermia, and even death. And in the same way, for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, the cost of following after Jesus, even though it might cost us something in this world, far outweighs living life without Him. And so we endure, and we experience suffering, knowing that in the end, if we stay the course, we will be united with Jesus forever. And then Peter closes this section, talking about the prophets. And he says that the Old Testament prophets searched and investigated carefully. They wanted to know everything about the coming Messiah that they could. And so we have books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel And they point us to one day when the Messiah will appear. And what Peter shows us is none of these prophets ever got to experience what we get to experience. They never got to experience what it was like to read these stories about Jesus in the Gospels and see the way that he loved and cared for humanity. Peter tells us that these prophets were serving not themselves but us. And so now, it is our turn to return the favor that the prophets gave to us. I would venture to guess that 80 to 90% of you in here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, came to Jesus Christ because somebody told you about him. There's always a small percentage of people that just randomly pick up the Bible and read a gospel account and come to faith in Christ. But more than not, a pastor, a family member, a friend, a small group leader communicated to you clearly the truth of the gospel and you responded in faith. And it is now our turn as believers in Jesus Christ to go and communicate that same message to those in our circles. You see, we have an obligation, a mandate to go and share the good news with everybody that we know. About the last six to eight weeks, we've just started a new ministry in Central City. And we come and we play with the kids on the playground and then we invite them back to a church and we have a Bible study with them and they get a snack and they hear the gospel every single week. We have had up to 50 kids some weeks show up. Now, are they showing up for the snacks? Possibly. But in spite of that, it is an opportunity for us, whether they're there for the snacks, whether they're there for the games, to let them know about Jesus. I have a friend of mine whose father is terminal. He's not interested in Jesus. 
But every time we go to lunch, I have an obligation to tell him about Jesus. My neighbor is going through some health issues. A couple of months ago, I said, why don't you just let me start doing your yard? And so I cut her yard. It takes 10, 15 minutes tops. It's not a big yard. And since I did that small act of serving her, she has opened up in ways that she never had in the previous two years that I had been her neighbor. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to return the favor. Earlier in the service, I told you to write down one intentional way that you could show kindness to somebody in your four circles. And if you came in late, you can still grab a sticky note on the edge. I want you to write down the way that you're going to serve that neighbor, that family member, that coworker, and I want you to sign your name at the bottom of it. And in our response time today, I'm going to challenge everyone to get up, bring that sticky note, and stick it on our display. And we're going to commit this summer to praying for that specific event, whatever it is, and pray that God, in the midst of however you're going to serve that person, would give you the opportunity to return the favor and share the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it. If you would, pray with me this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. We are excited about beginning this book. All of the things that you're going to show us about what it means to imitate you, the attitude we should have in our suffering, and the salvation that we have because of you. God, we have neighbors, family members, friends, co-workers, other people that we know who need to hear the gospel. And because somebody shared it with us, we have an obligation to share it with them. So God, as we bring down these sticky notes and as we plaster them on this display, we are all making a commitment to say we are going to pray daily for these people. Draw them to yourself. God, nothing that we can say, no act of kindness that we can do is going to make them believe in you. But your Holy Spirit can soften their hearts. So that's what we pray for now. We commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.